This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is the Legendary Moments pregame show, brought to you by Budweiser. There's a drive deep left field, way back, way back, and there she goes! Budweiser, legendary lager for legendary moments in athletics history. Please drink responsibly. That's right, it is the Legendary Moments pregame show as we're getting you ready for game four of the 1972 World Series between the Swingin' A's and the Big Red Machine. Ken Korak joins myself, Chris Townsend here, as we're getting you ready for uh, another great victory for the Oakland Athletics. They won last night 2-1. to one. Catfish Hunter went into the ninth, and the A's are coming back to the Coliseum up 2-0 in the series. Ken, it was a great game last night. A quick game and a lot of fun to watch old school baseball. So what do you remember from the 1972 World Series, Chris? Uh, I was in diapers, Ken. I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I was born March 15th, 1972. So I, I didn't see it. Hey, I'm telling you right now, Dick Williams is lucky I wasn't doing the post game show. You thought they I, left a catfish in there a little bit too long, huh? I would be all over Dick. Dick, he's, he's getting squared up. Everybody's squaring him up and he leaves him in there. Luckily, Raleigh Fingers came in and, and, and closed it out. But, you know, seeing a starting pitcher go into the ninth inning in a playoff game and allowed to work through jams, that was very refreshing. It was a different game back then. I mean, starters would go 300 innings in a season. That wasn't that unusual in a, in a ton of complete games. And Catfish, it was tough to take him out of a game, Chris. When he started, he wanted to go nine. Uh, and, you know, the, the game that we're going to hear and listen to uh, and watch on NBC Sports California Game 4 was so critical, of course, to the A's as they eventually won the series because you know, we played the second game last night, the last game at Riverfront. The A's won the, the two games there, but then they came home to the Coliseum and they lost the third game. One did nothing. It was a really tough, great pitcher's duel, Jack Billingham against Blue Moon Odom. The A's pitchers actually struck out 14 batters in that game, Chris, in Game 3, which... Pretty incredible when you consider the talent on the, the red team, the big red machine. So if the A's lose game four, of course, now you've got a tied series at 2-2. And the A's were trailing 2-1 to going to the bottom of the ninth inning. Then all the dramatics in the ninth inning. So this was kind of a cliche to say this. This was a really pivotal, uh, pivotal game in the 72 series. You know, a couple of things I noticed and I jotted down while watching it. The first thing that stands out is player size players are just so much bigger and in a different shape now than they were back in the early 70s there's no question about that I mean and and I'm I'm sure as you watched it that was one of the things that really stood out the other thing you were mentioning before we came on was the stances of the hitters right that almost every hitter uh, employed a closed stance back in those days yeah no modern day hitting coach would teach 
And there was a lot of funky different swings in the 70s where we now see a, a lot of the, the modern day swing. Every you know, Most people are pretty much similar alike to each other to where back then everybody had all kinds of different stances. But I've noticed, and not only in this game, but in some of a lot of the classic games on MLB Network, a lot of closed stances, which they would not teach that today. And uh, another observation, Pete Rose playing left field. You know, when I first remember baseball and Pete, he was actually on the Phillies and he was playing first base. And I remember him playing first base and some third base. I, I totally forgot he played in the outfield. Played a lot of left field. He played all over the place. But, yeah, and he, third base, second base, first base, left field for this club because, of course, they had uh, Joe Morgan at second. They had Tony Perez at first with, uh, you know, the array of stars that they had. But, Chris, you know, back in your hometown in San Diego when I was a kid, the Padres, the San Diego Padres in the Coast League, they were the Reds' AAA affiliate. And so a lot of these guys, and you could hear the games on Kogo Radio, yeah. K-O-G-O, 6-0-0, right? Remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I remember as a kid listening to those games, you could get the games clearly in L.A. A lot of these same players were coming up in the Reds organization, and they were playing for the old San Diego Padres. Yeah, Kogo's a big news station down in San Diego. Yeah. And, you know, just, just the names in this game, just watching it last night, it's just like it's just star after star after star. Joe Rudy, and we're going to hear some of Joe Rudy today. Uh, Joe Rudy hits a, a, a bomb of a home run, and then Minky squares it up, and that famous catch by him in left field. And when they show the replay, Ken, how high off the ground Joe Rudy was when he made that catch. I, I, I knew it was going to happen, but if you were watching that live, it looked like off the bat that ball was out of here. Plus, it was a sunfield back then, too. As he turned around at Riverfront, he was looking right up into the sun, which I think made the catch all the more remarkable. And the fact that it came in the ninth inning of a game that uh, the A's won two to one. So, and, and as we said last night, every game in this series except the sixth game was a one-run decision. So all the plays like that, Rudy's catch, those things become even more uh, magnified, Chris. And it, as you know, and one of the, the great things about this A's ball club was that so many of these players came up together through the minor leagues. They were signed or drafted. Uh, the, the last year you could sign pure free agents was in 64. The first year of the draft was 65. Rick Monday was the first overall pick. And then the A's eventually traded Monday to the Cubs for Kenny Holtzman, who's going to start the game that we're going to hear at game four. But um, looking back on some of your conversations with some of these great uh, players in the past, uh, Chris, Gene Tennis. Uh, talked about those teammates that he had and the character of the players on those A's teams in the 70s. The thing about our club is, you know, you know, we were good. We had talent. Uh, we had a group of guys that had tremendous makeup. And they're all pulling at the same end of the rope. They all wanted to win. And that was – and I've been on a lot of other clubs, you know, since that. And we had good players on, some, on the clubs I was on, but they just didn't – match up to that 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 group that I played with in Oakland there was just too many guys that you know had tremendous makeup and in this game Chris as you know in game four because the A's had scored just the lone run going to the bottom of the ninth and that was provided by tennis with his fifth inning home run off the lefty Don Gullett (laughs) yeah you know tennis everybody knows now that he was the MVP of the series he 
eight for 23 with four home runs. And he had the two homers in the first game, which sparked the A's to uh, winning the game 3-2 in the first game of the World Series. But it's it turned out, I think Jason Turbo, the author, talked about this briefly last night, that there was a credible death threat against tennis in the aftermath of hitting those two home runs in game one. And I didn't really realize the full extent of this until um, I heard Gene talk about it. And here he is talking about how the FBI had to be called in to protect him during the 72 series. I had the FBI, you know, I had to, you know, travel with those guys when I was in Cincinnati. And they would pick me up in a, you know, uh, unmarked car or a bulletproof car. And they would take me in a secret way in in the Riverfront Stadium. And then, you know, when the game was over with, I couldn't travel with the club. I had to go back to the hotel with those guys. And then they had a guy stashed, you know, outside my, my room and uh, couldn't go down and enjoy. I couldn't enjoy the experience of the World Series because, you know, I, I'm from Ohio. And shoot, I was playing in my backyard and I had friends up there wanted to see me and I couldn't, I couldn't get to them and they couldn't get to me. And it was kind of frustrating. Pretty incredible sidebar story right chris to the the series back then yeah i mean really scary and to think that the way he performed with that kind of pressure on you and just being scared and there's fifty-eight thousand people in the stands and you just don't know but as as gino told us he was in the zone and luckily when he when he got on the field of play he was able to, to block it out uh, but yeah, World Series MVP. He got to enjoy two more though, one against the Mets and uh, another one against the Dodgers. You know, Raleigh Fingers, when he comes into this game last night and watching him pitch, he's a slinger. You know, he's kind of coming from three quarters and that just made his slider that more nasty. And you just think about, because I remember, you know, interviewing him before where he talked about he didn't lift weights. He would swim in the offseason. He's got that loosey-goosey arm, and you can see why he's truly one of the greatest pitchers and relievers of all time. And great for three teams after the the athletics then. Of course, the Padres, the Brewers, he pitched great for those teams. And he did have what they would uh, call a rubber arm back in those days because he would come in. One of the things that, and you talked about the, the size of the players and the stances, the usage of bullpens has really evolved over the years. And when we go back and watch and listen to these games from the 70s, we kind of get a glimpse into the, the evolution of the game and the way the game has changed as far as managing and the usage of players. And I think one of the glaring things would be the bullpens, right, Chris? Because it's rare to see a, a closer come in the game in the eighth inning, let alone the seventh. But Fingers did that. So a lot of his saves back then were, were a whole lot more than just getting three outs. And a uh, young Al Michaels let us know that uh, Vita Blue wasn't thrilled about being down in the bullpen. No, and he pitched quite a bit in the pen <laughs> in the series. And you saw the graphic when Fingers came in the game. It wasn't Raleigh Fingers. He was Roland Fingers. So it was very, it was very proper, I guess, the way he was, he was depicted graphically in that game. And they kept, when, when Raleigh was in there at the very end, they kept showing Raleigh, and then they would show the dugout of the Cincinnati Reds. So here you got Raleigh with the big uh, the mustache, the handlebar mustache, and then it panned, the camera would pan into the dugout of the Reds, and not one guy's got facial hair. Yeah. Hairs against the squares. <laughs> <laughs> it's the final series, I guess, Oakland against Cincinnati. And 
Joe Rudy, you, you mentioned him, and let's hear from Joe, uh, who was signed by the A's in, in 1964. And he talks about how the A's coming up together in the minor leagues, playing together all those years, and how much that was a positive for the ball club. Well, we really did. And, you know, like I said, we all had started maturing. We're all right in our mid-20s there. We had, you know, so uh, we all played together quite a while, had quite a few years in the big leagues, you know, really knew what we could do. We knew that we had a really great defensive team and just incredible pitching. That was what was so great of so the pitching we had, not only starting, but also out of the bullpen. And, uh, you know, you look at the guys coming out of the bullpen uh, with Raleigh, Daryl Nose, Bob Locker, um, I'm trying to think of the Spanish guy. There was a sinker ball, Horatio Pena. You know, all these guys have been number one stoppers on other teams before we got them. And uh, so, you know, having not only that great starting pitching, but then coming in with those guys. Uh, and we we had played that type of ball with with Dick Williams all along. We played an awful lot of two to one, three to two, four to three games that were tight games, you know, and he just preached and hammered us about be, not beating ourselves and you know, not to making mental errors, not making stupid plays, but going out there and making the other team make the mistakes. And uh, I think that's what really sort of unified us and, and gave us that confidence as we started playing uh, more and more and winning more that, uh, you know, winning just breeds winning. Yeah. Joe, Rudy, Christie, they also used the entire roster. Dick Williams was not afraid to bring guys in for defense. Like Mike Hegan at first base was big, made some good plays in the series. You think of Ted Kubiak playing shortstop after Campy was suspended for the balance of the uh, ALCS after the incident with Larry Legro in Detroit. And they had, you know, the, the pinch hitters, that's the, the big story of this game was the, the three pinch hit singles in the bottom of the ninth inning, eventually the game winning hit by uh, Angel Mangual. The Panamanian Express, Alan Lewis, pinched running in that ninth inning. So Williams likes to shuffle the deck, and he used a lot of guys. And uh, that was big, I think, for the A's in the series. Yeah, it's just kind of sad that Reggie wasn't in this because there's so many great stars in this game. It just would have been so much better with Reggie. But they'd win without him. Coming up next, we'll continue with the Legendary Moments pregame show. We're going to hear from... The skipper, Bob Melvin, a man who grew up as a boy uh, here in the East Bay, not in East Bay, on the peninsula, where he loved watching A's baseball, and especially his guy, Sal Bando. We'll hear from the skipper next, right here on A's Cast. Today's Swinging A's game is brought to you by Budweiser. Budweiser, legendary lager for legendary moments in athletics history. Please drink responsibly. This Bud's for the magic. The Athletics, the Giants. In support for everyone affected by the ongoing pandemic, Budweiser created an emotional 60-second video that champions the best of the American spirit called One Team. The spot is a tribute honoring the everyday people of America who are rising above the call of duty to help in the wake of the COVID-19 health crisis. From doctors and nurses working tirelessly around the clock to grocery store clerks working in today's new normal, Bud's film reminds us that we are all one team and that America is at its best when its people come together to make an impact for their local communities. To watch the video and learn more about how you can help, go to Budweiser.com slash one team. 
Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African-American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African-Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Here's the pitch to Mike Epstein. There's a drive, hit deep to right field, way back, way back, and it is gone! Home run, Epstein! 3-2 Oakland! This is the Legendary Moments pregame show, brought to you by Budweiser. Chris Townsend alongside the voice of your Oakland Athletics, Ken Korak, and we're going to hear from the skipper, Bob Melvin, but before that, you mentioned... Kenny Holtzman's going to be on the mound for this game, Game 4, 1972 World Series against the Reds. You know, the Catfish is a Hall of Famer. Vita Blue was a star. But Kenny Holtzman won so many big games for the A's in the postseason. He was great, and it was Holtzman and then Vita Blue, who actually wind up uh, winds up giving up a double that drove in two runs in the eighth inning in this game. But Vita, you know, the way that they were able to mix and match things, and he, even though I, I know, as you said, maybe he didn't like pitching out of the bullpen so much, but he was in, he was an important cog doing that. But uh, Holtzman was really good. And, you know, Charlie Finley has taken a lot of deserved uh, criticism uh, for some of his methods and tactics, but you also have to give him credit for some of the things that he did and as good a player as Rick Monday was. And again, going back to that, the, the first draft of 65 and the first ever selection, uh, the trade of Monday to the Cubs and the A's getting Kenny Holtzman really solidified the A's starting rotation back then. And in this game, we're going to get Monty Moore. It was fun listening to a young Al Michaels, but we'll get Monty in this game. Yeah, as the series came to the Coliseum, uh, Monty worked on the NBC telecast with Kurt Gowdy, as you know, Chris, and Monty did the first half of the game, did the play-by-play, and then you hear Monty do color with Kurt in the second half of the game. So. Uh, what a big thrill for, for Monty Moore. Yeah, because the guy that's not doing TV, he went over to the radio side. Right. So Monty was on the radio game one and two. Then they go to Oakland, and now it's going to be uh, Monty on the television. And just it's, 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 it's weird listening to a young Al Michaels because, you know, my entire life, Al's had this voice, 
And it's just, it, it was a little thinner back then than what it was as he matured as a rock. He guy. was a lot younger back then, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> but you think of, you think of how prominent he's been and how constant he's been in our lives. If you're, if you're a sports fan and having listened to uh, Al Michaels for, for pretty much, you think back, Chris, almost a half century. Uh, he was part of the, the uh, sports broadcasting landscape. Yeah, my entire life, whether it's NFL or Olympics or it's it's been Al Michaels has been a part of so many big games. And, and I know it was a lot of fun to talk to Bob about 72, 73 and 74, because, as you know, he was he was a big A's fan growing up. He was on the peninsula. And then, of course, his relationship with Sal Bando and Bob got his first job in baseball after he finished up as a player with the Brewers when Bando was running that ball club. And as you mentioned, you talked to Bo Mel recently and Melvin talks about that right now. Yeah. He, he meant so much to my career. He gave me a start, you know, after a player, after being a player, you know, and, and, and really showed me the entire operation. I was a special assistant. I was a scout. I was in player development. Uh, and then I was on the big league coaching staff. He got me my first manager's job in the fall league. I don't know if there's anybody in baseball that I owe more to than Sal Bando. And, you know, being a, a role model, a guy that I watched growing up, I, you know, you're, you talk to, to me about Sal Bando and you're talking about, you know, one of the elite people that I know and not only in baseball, but in life. And that's why Bo Mel wears the number six, right, Chris? And, and Sal uh, had a takeout slide that if that was done today in game two, uh, a lot of people wouldn't be that happy about it. But yeah, Bando was tough. I mean, he played hard. You think the game has changed a little bit, huh, since 72? <laughs> We've got a little thing, The other thing was you mentioned Holtzman, and even though the A's were playing at home, he's going to pitch and bat in this game because it was the year before the advent of the DH. And in the absence of Reggie, Matty Alou playing in right field again, the A's had Campy leading off at short. And then Alou in right field, and then Rudy in left, Bando batting fourth at third base, Mike Epstein uh, batting fifth at first base, George Hendrick in center field, and then tennis batting seventh and catching, Dick Green batting eighth at second base, and then Holtzman on the mound. Yeah, Hendrick didn't come into this uh, swing it real well. Was he, he was hitting like a buck 80 going into game two, uh, not in the playoffs, but finished the season like at 180. Obviously, he would be a terrific player, but he, he was struggling offensively going into the World Series. It would be his last year as an athletic, too, as he was involved in the trade that brought Ray Fossey over to the A's the next year as Ray joined the A's in spring training before the 73 season. And Talk about Bo Mel, and, and he talks about what it was like to watch those A's ball clubs back in the 70s. What an incredible time, and, and especially for you know myself, who's, you know, 10 or 11 years old and, and, you know, really starting to get into baseball and just starting to play little league. And, and now you get to see the, the world championship teams three in a row and, and what a unique group it was. I mean, like you said, you know, Harris versus the squares, two totally different team. It looks like a, you know, a, a beer league softball team with the colors and the hair and the, and everything. And then completely opposite over on the other side with, with Cincinnati. So uh, two different styles, two great teams, but, Man, three world championships in a row. That's pretty cool. So what did you think, Chris, as you watched the game last night and thinking about the two dugouts and two Hall of Fame managers? And that hasn't happened very often. Williams for the A's and Sparky Anderson for the Reds. Yeah, it's pretty cool because, you know, I got to see Dick Williams a lot when he managed the Padres when I was a kid. And then just you always just had 
so much respect for Sparky Anderson. You know, Bob Melvin played for Sparky in Detroit. And I really remember Sparky Anderson more as the manager of the Detroit Tigers and got to see him in the 1984 World Series. I got to go to two of those games when I when I was a little kid. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just it adds to the star power. Not only do you have star players, but you have Hall of Fame managers. I mean, they were they're two of the best who have ever done it. And they both had to be at a heightened uh, point of focus in the bottom of the ninth inning of this game in game four of the series. As we've mentioned many times, the pinch hits for the A's by Gonzalo Marquez and Don Mincher and Angel Mangual, the game winner, and the two pinch runners, Blue Moon Odom, who had started game three and pitched great, even though he lost, was he, he was used as a pinch runner. Alan Lewis pinch ran. And then Sparky had some very interesting decisions that he would make in the bottom of the ninth inning, Clay Carroll, the veteran right-hander, had gotten the save in game three. But Pedro Borbon was in the game for the Reds in the bottom of the ninth. And he was lifted. Gene Tennis was at the plate, and Borbon was lifted during that at bat for Carroll. And eventually it was Carroll who gave up the winning hit to uh, Angel Mangual. Uh, the A's had tied the game on Mincher's hit. Now with one out, they had runners at first and third. And Mangual is batting for Fingers, for Raleigh Fingers, who got the win, by the way. Second base was open with one out. The winning runs at third base. So Sparky could have walked Mangual there to load the bases, go for a double play. But Campy Campaneris was on deck. And I don't blame Sparky. He's thinking, I'm going to try to get Mangual out there and then try to take care of Campaneris with two out. But the Reds, of course, had to bring the infield in. And the ball that Mangual hit was the first pitch that Carroll delivered uh, there through the right side hole, the drawn in infield right between two Hall of Famers on that side with Tony Perez at first base and Joe Morgan at second. Yeah, I, I think of pitchers, they're, they're not wrapped in bubble wrap like we do today. As you right. mentioned, Blue Moon, uh, pinch runs, and something that, you know, Ray Fossey's told us throughout the years, whether it's Blue Moon or it's or it's Vida or it's Catfish or it's Holtzman, they all were threats at the plate. It wasn't like this was, you know, nowadays in the National League, it's just an easy out. These guys were true threats when they got in there. Catfish was a very good hitter and had driven in a run in the game that we heard last night in game two of the series. So, and you could really help your team. I've always felt that if you were a, like Drysdale was a really good hitter for the Dodgers and of course, uh, in the National League, never had to worry about the DH. But this was, as we said, this was the last year that American League pitchers were going to have to hit. I bet that fried those guys. Yeah, for sure. If you if you considered yourself to be an all around ball player, yeah, because you know you know going to the, even to the Coliseum now, uh, as the A's are getting when they're getting ready to play an interleague series, and the pitchers love to get in the cage. You know, they love to take BP knowing that if the A's are going on the road to a NL park, they're going to have to hit. I mean, they get into some pretty intense competitions during batting practice. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, all these guys grew up being the star player in high school and college, and they hit, and they're, you know, majority of them, the right-handers always played short because that was the best ap- the best athlete was shortstop and would also pitch. So back in the day, these guys got some pride of what they were able to do offensively. And as you mentioned, this game that we're gonna, about to throw it to, you know, if you look at a seven-game set and you're going to have to finish at Riverfront Stadium, you got to take care of some business at home or all the confidence in the world has now swung over to the big red machine. 
You're right, Chris. That's why this game was so critical because the A's had lost game three. Now they were only, their lead was only two to one. And if you lose this one, now it's two, two. And you know, like you said, the games six and seven are back in Cincinnati. By the way, we didn't mention this and I just wanted to talk about this, but before we throw it to the game, I even made my kids watch it. They did air the speech. Jackie Robinson, as he was honored by Major League Baseball and had his kids there, his wife there, former teammates there. His last appearance before he has a heart attack nine days later and passes away. And I know I brought my kids in to say this is Jackie Robinson. And I explained and it it was a great moment to see that. Well, and so poignant, too, to realize that as he was talking, that it was only a week and a half before he left us. He, He died nine days later. But he left with a very important message, and that was that his dream was to have an African-American manager in baseball. Of course, later it happened a few years later with uh, Frank Robinson. Uh, The other thing about, I don't know about you, but I get such a kick in the postseason about when you hear the PA announcers introduce the players on the baselines. That signals to me that this is a big deal. It's the postseason. And so you have a young, you mentioned a young Al Michaels. He had a fairly young Roy Steele on the PA for the A's. And then when the A's are introduced and our, our uh, listeners are going to hear that you have Dick Williams comes out first and then you have Reggie coming out resplendent. I mean, he's, he's dapper as he comes out, but he's limping out to the baseline in street clothes because of course he doesn't play in the series. Then uh, Roy begins to introduce the starting lineup beginning with uh, Campy. And how about the coaches for the A's, including Dick Williams? They wear different color hats than the players. They wore the white hats, yeah. Another <laughs> of the Charlie Finley innovations, right? Just to just to did show anybody else do that? The, the A's were going to be a little different. Nobody else did that. No, uh, the A's, I think, were the only team that did that, Chris. And, and by the way, the, the Cincinnati Reds uniform back then that was sharp. Yeah, but I was never a big fan of the pullover shirts, right? I've always been the traditional. I mean, give me a button jersey, not a yes, pullover jersey, right? I agree. They look like it. They look like t-shirts. Jerseys. <laughs> 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 All righty. Well, you enjoy the rest of the night. Have a, uh, a a nice glass of wine and enjoy this game. And coming up next, we have Game Four of the nineteen seventy two World Series. Truly, one of the greatest. World Series in the history of baseball. When you look at all the stars and all the Hall of Famers and all the great players, and as Ken mentioned, the managers, so special. So we'll see you. uh, Are we back, Cody, on Monday or Tuesday? Uh, It'll be Tuesday night for the Legendary Moments pregame show. All right. We'll be back on Tuesday night. Of course, we'll be back on A's Cast Live on Monday. Have a great rest of the weekend and enjoy Game 4. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? 
Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 